Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 222. 222. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, uh, how's things going in your world this morning? Man, it's lovely. It's lovely. We had that little squall line blow through last night, so I hope everybody in Texas made it through okay. I don't. I haven't heard of any. There's some power outages near about 20 minutes from where you and I live, but uh, other than that, man, I think everything is good. Um, and so uh, let's get into it. We've got I know two guests today. So first is uh, Tim Cotsman, who is the CEO of Jubilee Realty, who has been a former sponsor of this podcast and someone I work with on a regular basis. Tim, it's great to get you on, man. How you doing, sir? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Ryan. So, so I know Josh, I sent Josh the report in a second and you, you kind of blew his mind talking about how high you think natural gas is going to go this quarter. So let's kind of get into the press release and some of your thoughts about uh, what's going on with natural gas. Yeah, I'm reminded of last, I keep saying last summer, but it was two summers ago now. So summer of 2020, I was having dinner with another mineral CEO here in New York who's focused in uh the natural gas basins. And he said, uh, Tim, if natural gas gets much lower, we're just going to have to slow it down and maybe hang it up for a while because it was below a dollar fifty. By the time you get the Henry Hub discount, you're below a dollar, right? And we've been acquiring natural gas assets in the Appalachian since 2008. It's been that way for a long time, right? Your, your stub is under a dollar. So you have that touch point. And then now we have four, five, almost $6 nat gas in this country. You have Europe above $30. You have spot over the past month in Asia above 60, spiking over 100. So if you would have told me two summers ago that natural gas anywhere in the world was going to be spiking over 100, I would have been super shocked, right? Um, so that's where uh, Mike, Alex, myself, we we looked at everything going on and I think Goldman Sachs might be, you know, saying six, seven dollars. You know, we we're looking at all of the same data, I think, right from the EIA, from all the same publicly available sources, and our our NAC gas prediction is eight bucks uh, for Q four this year. Josh, if if we would have said Q four <laughs> this time last year, we probably have gotten fired for our own podcast. It's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. It is. Hear these numbers. It is. I mean, and, I mean, with the winter coming, um, that seems reasonable at this point. You know, eight dollars, completely within uh, within reason. Man, could you imagine the Permian uh, two years ago, eight dollar natural gas? I mean, yeah, it's crazy. So, what do you think, Tim, is the biggest contributing factor to why gas is? Is it lack of Permian drilling, like we talk about on the show a lot? Um, you obviously have a lot of experience with those East Coast basins. Uh, this the confluence of perfect events. What, what's going on here? Yeah, so I actually just reposted this morning on LinkedIn the interview that Alex Epstein did with Toby Rice, CEO of EQT, largest natural gas producer in the, in the country. And, you know, it's encourage everybody to watch it. It's maybe 40 some minutes long, but they really, it's the it, 
the restriction on infrastructure, the pipeline infrastructure. And who knows whether the current infrastructure package is actually going to, to do anything for natural gas specifically, but you know, they like to talk about hydrogen or where, where does hydrogen come from? So it, it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, the, I'm viewing it as the natural gas industry isn't asking for, you know, any handouts or any, any changes or just let us build a couple pipelines so that Massachusetts can get natural gas from 250 miles away instead of 2,500 miles away. I mean, that's how ridiculous this is getting. Yeah. And job about the Northeast. It's, it's crazy to see what's going on there. Do you think, um, cause so you're in New York, Josh and I are in Texas right now. Uh, you're talking to people all the country. Do you think these higher prices are helping people reconsider some of their thoughts on oil and gas, investing in oil and gas. Because that's one thing we hear a lot about is people don't want to put capital in oil and gas. So what are those conversations? They're a little bit different for what you're doing uh, from an operator, but still you're having conversations with people about putting money into the industry. Yeah, so we're buying natural gas uh, through our series of funds. We work with LPs to have more firepower. And what we're doing on the mineral side is I think just vastly different from the operators. The operators have um, a lot of inventory, which is great, but they're restricted by pipeline infrastructure. What we're able to do is helicopter ourselves in as an army of Tim, as an army of Alex, an army of one, and just get right in front of um, it many times the drill bit to production so that the natural gas that is being produced, that is being piped out, we're able to return that capital to uh, to our teams and our, our LPs. And that's really our strategy. So I, I, people hear oil and gas and, and it's really oil and gas from an operator, operated standpoint, it's totally different from minerals, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, just full disclosure, I know I've said it on here before, but for someone new, you know, I'm an investor in fund one and in fund two. Uh, fund two hasn't closed yet. We'll get to that here in a second. But um, I remember, <laughs> get my first deposit in my in Q1 of this year, right? So that would have been, you know, many months ago when when, when gas wasn't, you know, $6 or 5.50 or whatever it is this morning. Um, and I was like, "Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this is this is good mailbox money." The, you know, it it's really weird because you could get focused on oil and gas, you know, down, upset, kind of downtrodden like, "Oh my gosh, what's going to happen?" And then you get that mailbox money in and it makes it makes life a little bit better for that day. <laughs> So despite the negative headlines, there are ways to make money and continue. If, if the prices continue to go up, um, not only will um, the funds like you guys are doing are going to make money, but also there's going to be a lot more operators are, are drilling because at some point the narrative just has to shift. Like the average consumer can't afford these high prices. Oh, did we lose Tim there? I think we lost him. Yeah, I think so. Um, Tim, you there, bud? Back. Oh, there you are. I'm back. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying. Did you, I don't know if you heard my last comment, which is that it, as the prices go up, um, a you know funds like yourself can make money, but also the operators at some point will be able to get capital investment on what they're doing because the average consumer just cannot continue to handle these high prices. So um, it's, it's 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 weird because we talk about inflation. Well, uh, an investment like this is a hedge against inflation, but also the operators will have to drill. Um, so it's really a great time to be investing in oil and gas, despite maybe some of the, the negative headlines. Yeah, I mean, we're taking a more conservative approach where I'm willing to give up some upside 
in order to have cash flow in the near term. And so um, that may not be the right strategy for everybody, or they may not agree with that, but um, there's just been, I've seen too many minerals companies with positions over the past five years. And when commodity prices are going in your favor, everything's great. And then as soon as it's not, then they're trying to exit a portion or all of their portfolio, maybe for less than what they bought it for, just to get into better acreage that's going to produce sooner. So, you know, that's, um, they sound like an obvious takeaway, but something that I've picked up on is let's just be super disciplined, conservative, and we're able to do that because we're not trying to put at this point, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to work every year. So, um, yeah, I mean, JP Morgan came out saying, quote unquote, their worst case scenario price prediction for the next three years. So through 2025 is $190 a barrel. Well, you know, these operators, <laughs> to your points, they can probably drill some wells well within their cash flows at $190 oil. So I think it's going to be uh, a much different landscape again over the next two to three years. So, Tim, uh, one of the things I've been following um, is the talk of the energy crisis kind of internationally. Uh, I believe uh, China had uh, like 60 coal mines that, that went off because of storming landslides. Um, it seems to be a shortage going on in a lot of countries, which is, I think, one of the reasons we're seeing these prices uh, move up pretty quickly as well. Um, I mean, how is that, how is the, the shortage that people are having, how is that affecting it? And will that make the, the gas price uptick short term? Or do you see this being uh, a long term, you know, like 2025, a, a long term thing? That's a great question. I, I don't know what it looks like medium to long term, but I, I agree with a few others that have said it's going to last, you know, beyond this winter and this global shortage where we're talking about Europe and Asia is going to affect us here. And that's why, you know, can we see it going to $8 within the next month or two here in the US? Yes. Why? Because it's supply and demand on a, on a global stage. So I think it's, it's super easy to get kind of caught up with, well, it was $1 and now it's $5 here in the US, but what about the spikes above a hundred dollars in Asia? Anybody, anybody paying attention to that? <laughs> it might be important. It may not be a one for one, but uh, it's, uh, we're all we're all in this together. Yeah. And so one of the things Josh and I have wondered about is, so you, you kind of have the Permian stuff which we talk about, but going back to your experience on the kind of the east eastern uh, basins over there, um, is we've been surprised that the mainly dry gas basins haven't been able to capitalize on this. Like, you know, um, if you just go back to you about two summers ago, if we'd have said natural gas was at this prices, you would be like, oh my gosh, these guys are going to drill. Um, you, you said it's going to last through this winter. Um, are you hearing rumblings that maybe we're going to see more drilling um, in some of those historical natural gas basins going into Q1 of 2022? Can you repeat the last part? Sorry, I cut out for just a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was saying, do you think that we're going to see, are you hearing any rumblings over there on the East Coast that maybe we will see these more drag basins get some more rig activity uh, into the first half of 2022? I haven't heard any of those rumblings, and I think it all comes back to pipeline infrastructure. 
if you don't have the the pipes to to uh, to haul it out of there, <laughs> um, and even trucking it out, right, or railing it out, I mean, you why would why would they drill more wells if there's there's no pipeline capacity? I mean, there, um, you know, we could go through a litany of you know pipeline projects in the Northeast that have just been canceled. So that on a high level, I think is is kind of the reality of it. Okay, um, a couple more questions here before we get you out. Um, so just step back. Let's kind of talk about maybe uh, what Jubilee is. We touched on it some, and then why you decided to kind of go this route because some people might go, God damn, you're, you're crazy. Like right now is the worst time to be <laughs> investing in minerals. You've kind of touched on it some, but you kind of tease it out a little bit time because a little bit more because your timing for fund one and now fund two as it wraps up is interesting for those who are hearing all the doom and gloom. Um, and you've seen to be opportunistic despite that. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of when's the best time to plant an oak tree. Well, probably a hundred years ago, when's the next best time? Well, right now, I mean, Again, we've been acquiring natural gas assets since 2008, and um, you know, at certain part, at certain points, people looked at us like, "Are you guys okay? Like, why are you guys buying natural gas minerals when uh, you could be in West Texas, you could be in the Eagleford, you could be a lot of different places?" And some of the larger shops that have bought four or five, six hundred million dollars worth of solely Appalachian. Uh, natural gas assets. I'm sure they're all, I'm sure their LPs at a certain point in time were going, are you guys, is this the best idea? Um, so, you know, I think some of those guys are, are, are looking like they had some, some strategy at this point. And I think the misnomer is that minerals is, you know, commodity price and what comes out of the ground, right? Additional permits, you know, they're not going to drill four, eight, 12 wells most of the time, all at the same time. So we're, we're buying and then divesting of these assets through their development process, which gives us cash flow. And then we're able to exit. And the next guy, He's probably going to get another four wells drilled on the same property. So um, it's more nuanced than just the price that you see in the headline. It's more nuanced than just, well, this well is better than that well. So that's kind of how we see it. Okay. And so we've, we've talked about this uh, fund too, your second fund that you're working on. Um, it's getting ready to wrap up here in what, 14 days, something like that, 20 days. It's getting close. Um, so you know, who can invest, who can't invest, what kind of people are you looking for um, to invest in fund two? Yeah, we work with high net worth individuals, family offices. So anyone that is uh, an accredited investor, um, that's who we work with. And I think you said if you call Tim or Alex and say you heard on the Text One Guest podcast, you're going to like double their investment money, right? Is that it's kind of something like that's what you're saying offline? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Okay, and so for folks who might be interested, accredited investors only, of course, um, we'll, we'll put some links to Jubilee um, to talk to. But how long? I know the fund two is closing soon. So, what kind of time is of the essence are we under? Yeah, so we're accepting subscriptions daily through October 29th, and uh, then we're going to get to work and, and go uh, identify and, and purchase some assets. And we actually are, have already identified and have our first deal in title. So we uh, we're moving and grouping. 
Now, I, I won't say anything other than, is that the deal you texted me about the other day? Maybe. <laughs> I won't say anything else other than that. If, if, if that's the deal you're talking about, that was, uh, that was pretty cute. That was pretty sexy. <laughs> I got kind of excited about that one. Um, so good. Okay, um, Tim, thank you so much for coming on, for sponsoring the show. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, work with you. Um, where can folks best find you? LinkedIn, website, where do you want to send them to? Yeah, jubileeroyalty.com, and, and you can find us on LinkedIn and you know YouTube. You can just Google Jubilee Royalty and, and see some of the uh, material that we have out there. Okay, also be sure to look on YouTube for like uh, Jubilee Markets, a weekly show kind of going through different ways to invest, not just um, oil and gas, but general trading and investment strategies. So check that out as well. Thanks, Tim, for coming on. Talk to you soon, brother. Thanks, guys. All right, Joshua. I think our next guest will be on soon. Um, we got a few minutes between now and then. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's weird. We're sitting here talking about $8 after gas in 2022. As a, as, a, as, a, as a possibility. I mean, it's not, it's not like those, you know, we've seen those articles before where people are like, you know, uh, here comes a hundred dollar oil. And you're like, oh, it's not coming to a hundred dollar oil. You know, there's really no pathway for that. Um, but the dynamics of the market have shifted so much in just the past, it's not even 12 months, really. It's, it's mainly this year. So what nine months and some change, um, and so, yeah, I, I do wonder, I'm curious your thoughts. We, we talk about this, the general economic factors that are going on sometimes. You know, how much longer do you think the economy, before the economy kind of get, gets right? Well, so that, that's part of the question. So um, just for a little bit of perspective on things, um, I'm sure you, you're aware of what's going on with uh, Southwest, the airlines. Um, I don't know all the details. I haven't read up on it enough. It, caught, it piqued my attention because they canceled almost 2,000 flights, like 30% of their flights were canceled. Um, there's two factors. There's the, the, the question of supply and demand, which um, that the demand as it comes back, that was the one thing that we were wanting was demand because the government and shutdowns and lockdowns and COVID uh, were all stifling demand. But now what we're having a problem with is a shortage of supply on the side of getting it where it needs to go. So have usually if there's a high demand, there's a supply to meet it. Uh, but right now we're having a shortage of supply, not because of the inventory itself, but just the, the delivery and transport of this stuff. Um, that's the question right now is getting necessary workers, um, being able to get it from point A to point B uh, that's creating a supply issue, which is driving these prices pretty high as well. And I think it all goes back to the shutdown. When you begin to shut, you know, lock, lock down, there's all sorts of ramifications that are going to happen that are going to upset and disrupt this supply chain. It's not as easy as turning it off and then turning it back on. And once these things are disrupted, the question is, is, when is it going to start getting better? And I'll, I'll give you an example that uh, Biden was talking about the uh, what was going on on the West Coast with all these um, ships sitting out at sea, not being able to port. And two months ago, he addressing the issue. So it became a bad issue a couple of weeks ago. But two months ago, when he was addressing the issue, he said that it was actually in the process of getting better. All the people that looked over all of the information and all these independent uh, forecasters said we're on the 
we're crossing the hill. We're about to, it's about to start getting better. And it's been getting worse for six weeks straight. Like they absolutely missed it. Right. Okay. Let's, let's circle back to that. If we have time, I think our other guest is here. Uh, Congressman Arrington. Let's see here. I think he's in the green room there. Uh, let's see if we can get him on here. All right. Can you hear us, sir? I can. Can you hear me? Yeah. Loud and clear. How's it going? Well, it's always going better when you're in West Texas and not Washington, but I'm concerned about the country and I'm sure your listeners are. And especially when you live in the largest um, energy basin in the world with respect to oil and gas. But, uh, you know, there's always hope and I trust the American people's judgment. And I don't think they have a lot of confidence in what's going on from the border to foreign policy to uh, energy policy and this so-called economic recovery plan, which is going to put us back in the stone ages if it ever sees the light of day. But other than that, God bless West Texas and good to be with y'all. <laughs> well, it's good to good to have you on. And um, you covered a lot of a lot of stuff there. So let's kind of start with maybe um the border and kind of your perspective of what is going on and for those just tuning in uh, we have congressman uh, jody errington from the 19th congressional district of the great state of texas so it's good to have you on today sir great to be with y'all and yeah the border is probably the most um you know definitive self-inflicted crisis of the many of this administration because as a border state you know, we're we're witnessing a deluge of of people and drugs and crime flowing into this great state of ours in our country. And it, it is it is a direct cause and effect from this administration's open border policies. And the unfortunate thing about it is the American people should expect no matter what party you're affiliated with that their commander in chief would prioritize the security and safety of their citizens. They would respect our laws and sovereign border and faithfully execute those laws as they promised in their sacred oath. None of that's happening. So Texas is kind of just left hanging out there. Um, I would submit uh, to you, Ryan, that, and I say this often, there's a constitutional crisis because every state is guaranteed protection against an invasion. Uh, that's Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution. And when there's an imminent threat and the federal government is failing to protect the state, the state has the constitutional sovereign power to defend itself and its citizens. And so I think Texas is our only hope and way out of this for the foreseeable future. But it is horrible on so many levels, not not the least of which are these poor souls that are being encouraged to come here and take a dangerous journey and risk the safety of their families on the way. So it's it's uh, I'd say it's as bad as it is, as any of the policies, maybe saving except leaving Americans in Afghanistan during the withdrawal. We've never seen that in our lifetime. Well, Congressman, uh, one of the things that we've been uh, paying attention to is the uh, the ban on uh, drilling on federal lands 
and just the overall impact that that's going to have, especially in areas of New Mexico, uh, with you know the Permian Basin on on that side. Um, so, I mean, what are you, what are your thoughts on the the ban on the uh, drilling on federal lands, um, and also kind of one of the ways that that will impact um, you know these Texas-based operators that do work on the New Mexico side? Well, it's another uh, part of the unilateral executive actions taken by this president that will kill jobs, very good, high-paying jobs in rural America. And it also robs states like New Mexico of critical uh, revenue to support their schools and other important state and local programs. Um, And it just makes no sense because if you take the public land moratorium, the XL pipeline cancellation, um, the new, you know, climate alarmist EPA policies on carbon emissions um, that are connected to Paris, the Paris Climate Accord, you're talking about millions of jobs over the next five years. Right now, it's hundreds of thousands. It's going to squeeze every working family in the country with higher prices. We're already seeing that. Uh, So it's not just economic impact to West Texas and rural communities and it's it's and it's not just an impact to the state coffers and supporting infrastructure education and other important programs in New Mexico and other states. It's um, it is part of uh, a big part of what's compromising our energy independence ultimately and seeding that independence and really global leadership and economic dominance to China and Russia. And, 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 and meanwhile, our presence, you know, as, as he's doing all these things, assaulting the oil and gas industry, he's begging OPEC to produce more of that, as he would say, planet um, polluting uh, petrochemical <laughs> carbon emissions. So it's really doesn't make any sense. It's inconsistent, um, but he can't. The one thing politicians can't take um, is uh, inflation and the price at the pump because it's a tax on everybody. And 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 he's getting a big pushback as our Democrats all over the country. Um, and 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 I hate it, but but it, but because of our borrowing and deficit financing of everything, no one feels any pain until we fall off the cliff. So this inflation is actually kind of a truth test for people. You know, do you want all this? It's going to cost trillions of dollars and it's going to hurt us in the ways I just mentioned. And if you have to pay for it, inflation's one way we're paying for it right now. I think most people will reject this socialist utopian uh, um, green new disaster. I know Josh has some questions about, um, various tax things that, that we want to get to. But before we talk about specifically on tax and ask Representative Kevin Brady this a few weeks ago, make the case for why an American taxpayer right now should be open to hearing anything about taxes when the federal government spends at will. And so it's a, it's a thing where you said, hey, we want to increase tax here or tax there. I don't care who you want tax. If the federal government is going to print money at will, 
how can we ever be convinced as voters that we should be paying more taxes? We should be paying less if the government's going to print wheels. So let's start there and then we'll get into specific tax policies. Well, this is an area where the federal government, um, among other areas, does not operate the way the American people do at, at all levels, individual, family, business, even local and state governments. We don't live within our means. That's why we're almost 30 trillion in debt and climbing, or I should say digging, because it's a hole that we're digging for for our generation. I'm not 50 yet, so I think I'll see the disastrous effects of our deficit financing and our national debt in my lifetime. My three children certainly will. So you're right. It's it's hypocritical. Um we we had a trillion dollar deficit before COVID, which was the highest annual deficit we've ever run. That means that we are uh, spending and growing the government at a trillion dollars over what we bring in in revenue. It's completely unsustainable. So, yeah, I think the American people um, should uh, should uh, be outraged that they want more of our hard-earned money to pay for things that they're not willing to, um, you know, to, to pay for in a way that is responsible and balances our budget. Um, and they want more. They want three and a half trillion dollars of taxes, even though we're already, um, you know, we're not the most competitive in terms of tax rates. We got lower when we cut taxes three years ago. We grew jobs. We took 6 million people out of poverty. We had the highest, you know, median family income increase on record, 50-year unemployment uh, low, um, which was a record. Uh, But nevertheless, we're now going to go back if if Biden and the Democrats pass this tax and spend bill to having the highest tax rate in the free and developed world higher than communist China, which is not, doesn't seem like an America first, America best policy. So, and all for what? For expanding the welfare state to a point that you won't even recognize it. It would make LBJ and FDR blush with the, with the new cash entitlement programs like paying people uh, cash money every month per child, regardless of whether they're working or looking for a job when they are work capable. That's that's a half a trillion dollars as a temporary policy. We know it'll be made permanent, so it'll be a trillion plus. Guys, we don't we can't even pay for our social safety nets for seniors like like uh, Social Security and Medicare. Those are basically insolvent one in four years, one in less than 10 years. So, man, this, this, this ship is sinking fast. And I think, uh, while, while China is the biggest existential threat, in my opinion, and we certainly have, uh, challenges and even crises like the border, the, the debt and the prospect of a debt crisis that's looming large on the, over the horizon is, is in my opinion, the very thing that will take America off, off that, um, you know, king of the mountain. And uh, we won't be the exceptional country and China will, will be the, the global leader, which 
has all kinds of implications. So, but they do want to take the tax code and 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 further assault oil and gas in addition to these unilateral decisions we've been talking about. And the, it's written all throughout their tax proposal. It is just one hostile, targeted, punitive measure against oil and gas after another. I'm grateful that at least at this point, they don't have intangible drilling cost and percentage depletion allowance. Those are huge general business deductions that every other business and industry gets. Uh, but that was in Biden's proposal to basically take those from oil and gas. It would have destroyed the independent guys. It would have destroyed the economic landscape of West Texas and, and rural America because, and oil and gas, because 90% of the production in, in our country comes from the, the mom and pop, you know, independent, small, and even medium uh, uh, developed uh, oil and gas production companies. Well, we talked a little bit about uh, some of these tax codes. There was um, the Superfund tax. There's the current um, bill that they're they're discussing right now, and then also um, the Green New Deal. There's been a lot of what's uh, what we call ESG, where all these companies are pushing for um, carbon tax, um, uh, all sorts of things that are intended to, um, I guess, protect the environment uh, to really push. Uh, as many investors uh, toward the renewables as possible, trying to incentivize moving away from fossil fuels toward, toward these renewables. Um, what what do you see in these taxes, the Superfund tax and, and other things that are potentially going to impact uh, the industry? Well, the, the, the layer upon layer of taxes on the oil and gas industry and the super fund is directed at the petrochemical sort of refiner manufacturer side downstream. By the way, no, you know, 90% of the products that we use every day have some carbon basis, some petrochemical component part, including the, the phone I'm using and the equipment you're using and the cars we drive, the rubber on our tires, the cement in our infrastructure. So all of these things will be passed on to the consumer, to our working families in higher prices, prices of goods, and uh, not just at the pump, but in every good. And, and we're already seeing uh, inflation on just about every product in the marketplace today. I think it's $175 on average that the American family is spending every month um, more than they did um, last year. So it's it's just bad economic policy, but it will, it like you said, you'll see capital start to go to the um, intermittent, more costly, um, renewable side of the equation, which I'm all f I'm for all the above. And if we need to accelerate technology in battery storage and different things to move the renewables along, I don't think anybody has a problem with it. If there is a phasing out and a standing up of, of, of these different sectors where they can be economically sustainable but uh, they're not reliable today. They're not economically sustainable. And um, 
you know, we'll wake up like Europe and, and be in a place where Europe is, depends so much on renewable. And they've had a really tough time because um, the, the renewables aren't producing what they projected and what they need. And so now their gas prices, natural gas prices are 500% more. So it's just, it's not a good plan. Having a natural transition uh, to renewable, hey, if it can work, I think it's good for the country. Uh, energy independence is good. And having diversity of energy sources is good. And uh, I've embraced that, you know, since I've been to Congress. But this administration and the climate alarmist who are in the Democrat Party and part of the left, the radical left that's driving the agenda, that this is religion to them. And they want to destroy oil and gas. Even if we are leading in oil and gas, I mean, carbon emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, nobody does a better job of producing these resources in an environmentally friendly way, in a safe way. The United States leads in that. And with carbon capture technology, we may get to net carbons, you know, net zero carbon emissions uh, in the next decade uh, or two, but that won't be enough. They just hate oil and gas and they're not concerned or interested in the facts or science. It's uh, it's ideological, so it's hard to have a debate. I mean, let's just take real quick the combustible engine. If you took every car, gas-powered car off the highway and byways of America and gave us all electric vehicles and then deducted the, 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 the emissions it would take when you plug those in and you deducted what you need to fly because you can't fly on, on solar panels, then you have less than 1% of, an, of a net reduction in carbon globally. So we're going to spend trillions of dollars to electrify our country and we're going to break the bank and the back of our country and put all these costs on working people for what? It, it, and th this is why China's building more fossil related um, energy supply and utilities. And we're seeing it in Russia too. They're capitalizing on it. And I think they're just you know, frothing at the mouth over the opportunities of global dominance because we're we're acting so irrationally in the United States on account of ideology. Okay, we'll get you out of here with this question. Josh and I have um, pointed this out on numerous occasions, whether it's um, oil and gas or big tech or, or whomever, and that is the idea that whatever they say, the big boys, whatever they say, we just about go against what they say because their policies, Facebook um, wants to raise the standard and work with Congress. Of course they do because it makes it harder and the barrier of entry higher. Pioneers always out there talking about raising the barrier of entry. Um, so we appreciate you coming on this podcast because you are talking to the average citizen, Josh and I are just a couple of average guys. Uh, so we, we, we really appreciate that. But the question is, um, how does Congress separate itself from being influenced by bringing in the biggest names, in, in the, whether it's oil and gas, whether it's tech, um, and hearing from what those people have to say, because those people do not have, by and large, the best interests of average Americans, and they usually get the predominant voice in Congress. So how do you tackle that problem? Uh, that's a great question, Ryan. And Josh, those are all 
uh, good questions. There's so much here, and I'm sorry to 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 ramble on so long, but it's just um, there's a lot in the ball of yarn here uh, to to unravel for your listeners. But on that question, the big guys, right? You got big insurance, big pharma, big tech, big oil. I mean, they've got tremendous influence and power. And um, look, I'm not anti uh, any of the big guys at multinational, I'm, I, but I am pro-competition. Um, the free enterprise system works when consumers have choices and when they have businesses competing for them. And that's what drives value. It drives quality and it reduces cost. And that's, that's why we have the best economy and that's why our consumers have uh, the best uh, value proposition than any country. But, they, but, you, but you have this monopoly, these monopoly forces in all the above that I mentioned. And it distorts the market and it and it it makes it gives us as consumers less control and less choice. And Congress has to break break those things up, in my opinion. I mean, we have it in the food supply too with the meat packers. There's there there are only three companies, big ones. China owns one, Brazil owns another, and then You've got the U.S. having one. That is a real threat to our national security. You're talking about the food supply. Now you're talking about information flow. That's critical to our democracy to have more choices, options, and competition. And with respect to oil and gas, I mean, the little guys are the ones that are the innovators. We wouldn't have the shale revolution if you didn't have the independent producers. And by the way, Small businesses in general are the ones that are the job creators, not the big companies. So when you've got a lot of um, you've got the, the, you've got both sides saying they care about the small guy, the little guy, the small business, et cetera. You know, I don't see it um, even in this tax proposal. Just be clear. The marginal rates are going to go up. That affects the pass through basically small businesses. The the deduction that we gave small businesses, that's going to be cut. Uh, there's an Obama surtax on the small businesses. And, and, and C-Corps, 1.4 of the 1.7 million corporations in this country are small businesses. So don't, don't think for a minute that this is a tax on the rich or a tax on Wall Street or a tax on the big multinational company. This is a tax on the middle income, middle working class people who are going to pay more uh, and it's going to be small businesses who are going to be taxed out of being competitive with the big guys because they can't afford the regulations and taxes based on scale that the big guys can. So you're right. This is a way to flush out some of the small guys and give greater market share to the big guys. And, and in every way, Every every time you have these distortive effects of because of monopoly forces, the, the government has to prevent that. That's as bad as big government, big business and big government. They are relatives, close relatives. And the effects and impact on our citizens 
are similar and they're sinister forces that hurt us if our government just allows them to continue to concentrate more power. And um, I think this tax and spend deal is going to accelerate that concentration of power on the big tech until Republicans get in power. I don't see anything happening, but Republicans were in power and we didn't do anything when we'd had it. So let's be, let's be clear and honest with your listeners. Mm -hmm. So anyway, good questions, guys. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on. And as we said, uh, to preface that question is this is speaking to um, the average person. This isn't Fox news, which you get the average listener on Fox news, but the podcast format is, is different as a different feel. Um, you know, you know, we, and so, um, we always appreciate when the, when the, um, elected officials come on. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, we look forward to following what's going on, having you on again in the future. Thank you for Chris. Thank you to Christian for setting this up, I believe is who yeah. got this done. So thank well, you so much. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Josh. I love what y'all are doing. Uh, keep getting the message out to, um, like you said, to um, uh, to our average citizens uh, who feel like our, their country is uh, leaving them behind. And I agree with it. As a Plainview, Texas Bulldog, as a small town kid, I, I agree with it. God bless you all. Thanks for your time. Thanks, and where, where can people follow your work, uh, Congressman? Just just look look us up, at, you know, at JodyArrington.com. And uh, you'll you'll get you'll get all kinds of sort resources on our official side and on the campaign side. So we'd love we'd love for you to follow us. And we've got a newsletter, too. You can just click and sign up for that. And we give you a, a weekly and biweekly updates on what's going on in Washington. OK, thank you so much, Congressman. We'll link to that in the show notes and look to get you on again in the future. Thank you all. Take thank care. You. All right, that is Congressman Jody Arrington, uh, Mr. Shelton. Any um, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, I got one thing. Um, I'm Exxon Mobile building. Yeah, I'm about the guest. You made up with the guest. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no thoughts about the guest. No thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he came on. I mean, it's always insightful uh, to hear these guys that are, you know, dealing with the uh, the politics on a day in day in day out basis. Um, so I'm, I'm, I do appreciate the insights because that's something we don't get a lot. Yeah. And let me just say this real quick. Um, so first off, thanks for uh, his staff for Josh. I'm going to mute you. Your, your mic's rubbing your thing there. Um, he, um, thanks for coming on, but folks, you know, getting guests like this is, is, is uh, a big honor for Josh and I, of course. So please share it, like it, five-star review it. Even if you don't like the Congressman or you love the Congressman, we don't care. Drop a five-star review that helps get those type of folks on this show continually in the future so let them know that you appreciate them coming on um, at least if nothing else because they come on with unscripted questions and we try to ask things of interest and and i think josh the thing that um the citizens you know jump on the tax plan and, and and for me it's kind of a it's kind of a catch-22 it's like okay well the democrats want to do this tax plan it's like right but if you guys are going if you guys are going to continue to print at will then <laughs> Taxes shouldn't even be. I don't. Want, I don't want to talk about increases in anybody taxes, much less um, oil and gas, because you're going to print the money that you need at will to continue. So why are you taxing people? And to frame the conversation as what it is, which is control, right? It's not about increasing the taxes to balance the budget. That's not what's going on here. I don't care right, left, independent who says that. That is not what's at play here. What's at play is here is control, right? And so, um, and so we have to be reminded of that. That's that's the. Non-political take there. That's just a 
an easy observation that you want to make. So, all right, Josh, um, I guess we'll get out of here. We're up against the clock. So thanks everyone for coming, for tuning in, uh, drop a five star review. Uh, we appreciate it. And asked for one in a while and until next time, keep climbing. <laughs>